God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Before I begin, a word of welcome. Whatever brought you to Holy Communion this morning, we're glad you're here. Some of you are here because your parents made you come. That's a good thing. It's good to build up political capital at home. You might need it later. Some who came are um, not so much in the place of being able to argue with their parents. We've got a lot of little kids in the back. For those of you who are parents with little squirmy, squeaky kids, know that you are more than welcome. We like to say here at Holy Communion that we expect people to act their age. And so we expect little ones to make noise and be exuberant. So I can out-preach them, I can get loud over them, don't worry. Some of you are here because a sibling asked you to accompany them. Some of you are here because it's Easter and you're supposed to go to church on Easter. And perhaps you feel a little awkward. A special welcome to you. We're glad you're here. If you need help navigating this ancient liturgy, someone nearby will help. Some of you are here to hear our choir sing and maybe support a particular member of the choir. Thanks to you. Whatever brought you here today, welcome. We're glad you're here. May I be the first to wish you an official Happy Easter. Did you catch the setting of this morning's gospel? Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. While it was still dark. That's when Mary came to the tomb. Darkness is a theme in all of John's Gospel. And and this morning, that phrase which starts us off sets the tone for the resurrection story. While it was still dark. The whole Gospel story that Mark just read, it's filled with fear, confusion, a sense of dread. Where have you laid him? Mary asks again and again. The tone matters. You've got to remember... This is a community in shock. Mary, Peter, James, John, the other disciples, they've given up lives and livelihoods to follow Jesus. Their hope died on the cross. They've watched their leader be silenced by the might of Rome. It's a good reminder. We don't need news of resurrection when all seems right in the world. But early... On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, the work Mary goes to do isn't glamorous. According to Luke's gospel, she's headed to the tomb with spices. Jesus hadn't been, had been hastily buried ahead of the Passover. So under the cover of darkness, hoping not to draw attention, Mary wants to try to bring some dignity to the degradation. Instead, she finds an empty tomb She panics. She weeps. Woman, why are you weeping? The question has to come twice that dark morning. Lost in her grief, still under the dim light of morning, she doesn't recognize Jesus at first. Then he says her name. The world changes. Resurrection happens while we're feeling lost and scared. Early on the first day of the week, when it was still dark. 
darkness, sadness, fear, these set the stage for resurrection. Modern folks have a hard time with spiritual truths like resurrection. We hunger for facts. When I was in high school, at the urging of an evangelical friend, I read this best-selling book called The Case for Christ. And the crime journalist Lee Strobel tried to make a case against his wife's conversion to Christianity. So he looked at the Bible and history, and, and he talked to experts. And instead, he tells us, he convinced himself in the truth of the gospel. So let me be clear, I'm not recommending the book. Or the movie that apparently came out just this last month, I heard. You see, each of Strobel's chapters talk about a kind of evidence. Listen to their titles. Eyewitness evidence. Corroborating evidence. Scientific evidence. The evidence of a missing body. Especially for the resurrection. I have to tell you, I find books like this interesting, but not compelling. Every so often, archaeologists discover a new papyrus or tablet, and the media reports evidence that Jesus was not resurrected. History is important. Science is critical, especially these days. But if you need facts to prove your thesis, you're not talking about faith. You're not talking about resurrection. When we try to prove faith with science, we end up in some strange places. Even if you could build a case based on 2,000-year-old evidence that Jesus' body walked out of that tomb, I couldn't tell you it was evidence for resurrection. Evidence for resurrection is something else entirely. Because resurrection is a spiritual truth. Resurrection means that new life springs even after tragedy. Resurrection means that even when we mess up royally, God can take the wreckage and make something new. God can bring life out of death. Love can conquer hate. Goodness can win against evil. Resurrection as a spiritual truth I do find compelling. I can live my life looking for hope in the darkest places. I can live my life watching for life to spring out of death. You see, I do want to talk about evidence for resurrection this morning but not the kind of evidence in the case for Christ. The New Yorker this week features a short biography of a woman named Polly Murphy, or Polly Murray, a saint in our church, but not one that you've likely heard much about. Polly Murray was the first black woman ordained to the priesthood in the Episcopal Church. And though she came to priesthood late in life, like Mary Magdalene before her, Polly Murray was an early riser. In 1940, on her way to New from New York to North Carolina, where she was going to spend Easter with her family, Murray was arrested for refusing to go to the back of a segregated bus. And Polly missed Easter that year and did her time in jail, unable to pay the fine for her disorderly conduct charge. The civil rights movement wasn't quite ready to organize the bus boycotts that would begin in Montgomery when Rosa Parks followed Polly Murray's lead 15 years later. Polly was refused admission to the University of North Carolina because of her skin color. 
She was frustrated, but she used her anger to fuel her path. Instead, she took a different kind of step toward integration. Murray was the first woman to attend Howard Law School. At the time, Howard was known as the Black Harvard. While she was there, Murray wrote a senior thesis, and she was defending an argument she had in class with a professor. Murray argued that lawyers should stop trying to prove that black schools were unequal. Plessy v. Ferguson, the landmark Supreme Court case, held sway, and we were segregated in education. She said, you, you don't want to argue that the schools are unequal because the winds are too small, one school at a time. Instead, she said, make a legal challenge to the separate part of separate but equal. Her professor called her crazy. That same professor, later, arguing before the Supreme Court, used Pauli's thesis as part of the winning argument in Brown versus Board of Education, the Supreme Court case which ended legal segregation. The New Yorker article and, and the recent biography on which it's based, they both profile Murray's struggles through life. She struggled a lot. She struggled with depression, she was, in, she was even um, checked into mental institutions a couple of times. They, they particularly, toward the end, get into Murray's struggles around sexuality and gender. See, Polly was born Anna, but she hated that name. She shortened her middle name Pauline and used Polly instead. Though she always used feminine pronouns for herself, she never felt fully comfortable in her gender. She married a man once, but the marriage only lasted a weekend. <laughs> Polly had deeper romances with women. She left these stories out of her official autobiography, but she also left behind journals and letters that described the inner work to reconcile a queer identity before language, psychology, and society caught up with her. Polly was ahead of her times in many regards. And I'm grateful to be part of a church that eventually found the guts to ordain her and, years later, to declare her a saint. If you want evidence of resurrection, I submit the life of Polly Murray. I submit the thousands who continue to stand with faith before the world was ready. I submit witnesses, saints, even those who are not widely remembered especially those who are not widely remembered. On Easter morning, we proclaim the resurrection with trumpets and triumph. But new life often comes before it can be fully understood. New life comes about early, while it's still dark. That's why we started this service in the darkness this morning. Resurrection happens when the world is not yet ready. We are always playing catch-up to God's work. I don't know where you are on the journey of faith this morning. We say around here at Holy Communion, wherever you are on the journey of faith, you are welcome. Faith is a journey. And sometimes the road gets dark. Sometimes the world around can seem off-kilter. If these last months or weeks or days have been difficult for you, 
If you find yourself struggling with fear and shock, if you find yourself turning off the radio, putting down the paper out of frustration, you're well prepared for resurrection. God can and does make new life out of the worst of human circumstances. While all the reporting may cover bad news, there is good news today and every day. Life continues to triumph. Love continues to win. Light continues to shine even in the darkest corners. When you look at the big picture, there is evidence for resurrection all around. Happy Easter. Amen.